Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Nick Foles, to my Sam Bradford. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, I'm feeling either really good or really useless. Yeah, and our very own Case Keenum. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how's it feel today? Arguably fine, but you still can't depend on me. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate how you threw that to his response, even though he had a concussion. Yeah, the, the um, here's the thing. A lot of people have uh, messaged me. They said, Nathan, why why did you guys not put out the podcast on Tuesday? Why not seven? Why not put it out on seven seven? And there's there's a real reason and a fake reason. And let's just go with the fake reason. The the fake reason is that today is a <laughs> very special day. Today's a day that um, it's a, it's a holiday of sorts. You know, it is seven and nine. It's seven nine, and that's official Jeff Fisher Day. So to celebrate Jeff Fisher Day, I wanted to uh, not only just record the podcast, but also to, to go over maybe our, our favorite uh, Jeff Fisher memories, uh, you know, like the, Mr. 7-9 himself, uh, the, the, the legend. Uh, so, Eric, what's your favorite uh, Jeff Fisher memory? I hope I'm not stealing it from anyone because I think this is a pretty, pretty big memory in the, in the hearts of football fans. But I'm going to go with the Music City Miracle. Uh, this oh, is a nice. this is a playoff game, which <laughs> real tough for Jeff Fisher if you think about it. But uh, if if <laughs> you yeah, thank you. If you want to look at the Music City Miracle and, and analyze the game and how it was a typical Jeff Fisher game, but then it ended on this amazing trick play. That's what the game's known for. But this was basically enhancing the the narrative that Jeff Fisher is a good coach. And that's why I chose this memory. One, it's enjoyable. It's not petty. But the second reason I chose it is because I can make it petty. There are uh, some there's some really great seasons with Jeff Fisher that had Steve McNair. And then you had every other season. And this this is like one of the last playoff appearances he had. And it just it it helped write that narrative that Jeff Fisher is a guy that will take your team far. You know, you're not wrong because you said it's one of the last playoff appearances he had. It's also the first playoff appearance he had, but he only had six. So it's both. Yeah. For the for the guy that leads the uh, he's the all time NFL coach leader in losses. So, yeah, um, <laughs> the thing for me about that that game uh, is it's so Jeff Fisher to have like a win completely dependent on a fluky special teams yes. play. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's the most Jeff Fisher. Somewhere a young Johnny Hecker was looking on longingly. Um, all right, Kevin, what's your favorite Jeff Fisher memory? Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, so I have two and don't say both. Cause I don't want you to steal mine. Come okay. Then I'll do, I'll do my second one after you do yours. Okay. So my first one comes from the fact that I was a Houston Oilers fan as a lad. Um, I, and that followed them into, uh, Tennessee. And or Tennessee so Oilers never forget. They played a few years as the Tennessee yeah, two Oilers. years in, uh, one of them in Memphis, the other one at Vanderbilt stadium, <laughs> ne- hashtag Dumb. never forget. Um, but which by the way, uh, his, the record in those two seasons, in eight bowl seasons. Um, yeah. well that, that was, that was because they had the, the wrong mascot, Kevin, you can't blame that. Can no, that was because they have Jeff Fisher That's as head right. Coach. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, from the same 1999 playoffs, uh, one of my first few like really big Super Bowl memories, I was rooting hard for the Tennessee Titans to come up one yard short 
on a Kevin Dyson touchdown that would have beat the greatest show on turf. And that was the beginning of the end of my Jeff Fisher fandom. Because up to that point, I, I, I liked the team that was on the way up. I thought McNair was a cool player. I liked Eddie George. I liked what they were doing. And then they broke my heart in the Super Bowl. And after that, I, just, I never trusted them. Yeah, when you're a kid, again. when you're a kid, um, I I kind of dig that because like when you're a kid, you always kind of root for you pick out weird teams to root for, and like I like I like started rooting for I still love the Seahawks they were my favorite team but I also rooted for like the Packers some, and it's like why I don't know it's just what I did I was a little kid yeah because you were a kid and they were green or like your grandma got you a shirt at exactly or whatever my grandpa, it was my grandpa got me a sports bag that was a Packers bag and yep. I was like yep I like I kind of like the Packers now. Um, they have Brett Favre, but now I, I, that makes me sick to my stomach. Like it's gross, <laughs> but, but, but it is part of my history. So, uh, my biggest one is, uh, it's more just a moment, you know, it's a moment in time that I think quintessentially just uh, sums up Jeff Fisher. It lets you, uh, kind of feel Jeff Fisher, you know, you get to experience Jeff Fisher. Okay. He was on this, they did a season of hard knocks and a season of against all odds with Jeff Fisher. And I think. The season of Hard Knocks is okay. There's some good stuff in there. But the season of Against All Odds, it's cool because they show the actual games. And in the, there's a game against New England where Jeff Fisher wants to challenge a play but can't find the challenge yes. flag. And it is the best. It's like two minutes of him like looking in pockets and cussing and telling the ref, like, I want to challenge this play. And the ref's like, just throw the flag on the field. And he's like, I, I can't find it. I can't find the flag. It's in one of these pockets. I can't – you know, he's swearing. So there's like you – no. Know, more uh, x-rated than this version but like it's like i can't find it and then eventually he just like reaches into his front pocket and there it is and he's like i always put it in my back pocket i don't know what happened it's like yeah. oh gosh i love it. he's like making these excuses like a dad who lost the remote oh he's like God. a change jackets to the winter jacket i don't yeah, know what pocket it that, that uh, exactly what he says yes he says he changed jackets to the winter pocket and oh he he blames the construction of the pockets yes. so they're not, they're not good Wow, and the ref is of oh. course just like. Uh, and the thing I think that the refs are clowning him. The thing about this is that Jeff Fisher is a world class excuse maker, and this this that's what kept him in the league so long. That's what kept him as a head coach for so long. And so then he this clip I think it just shows like he's just a world class at making excuses. That was his greatest skill, and so. Um, yeah, that's my uh, that's my number one Jeff Fisher memory right there. My favorite. Well, it showed his uh, three strengths: making excuses, mm-hmm. having a really good mustache, and he he won the challenge too, so. and being kind of relatably charming. Yeah, oh yeah, he's a player's coach. And that, another thing that he did that was smart was he, he's his personality is not very co- he's not very like confrontational. So he always hired assistants who are a holes. Like Greg Williams was one of his assistants, and like one of my biggest memories from a uh, from that Amazon show was that. Greg Williams is a huge jerk. Like that yep. was like a thing that stuck with me. And mm-hmm. then I was like, well, that balances out Jeff Fisher, who's not a huge jerk, actually like a really like, like affable guy. It balances it out. I see why they worked together. And so, yeah. Okay. Know. So my other memory I wanted to mention really quick was, uh, I think it was 2014 when uh, the Rams got on a fist fight with the giants on the field, which I think is an absolute wonderful encapsulation of a Jeff Fisher defense where they're like, they're, they're not a great defense. They're like kind of like top 10, but they're nasty and they play with a chip on their shoulder, but they're always like kind of reckless. So, uh, yeah, them getting in a fist fight with like a young uh, Odell Beckham's team, I think is a, a pretty perfect encapsulation of like the last 10 years of his career. 
All right, here we go. That's our uh, set for seven nine day that we uh, we have celebrated now. Let's get into some uh, real some real topics now. Um, Patrick Mahomes signs five hundred million dollar contract. Really, it's it's not the last four years of that contract will never be played. But I mean, it does give him a lot. Those last five years, four years, do give him a lot of leverage in the renegotiation after year six. So Chiefs lock him up for eight more years. Uh, he kind of bucks a trend, which is that everyone else signs three year deals. You know, he signs an extra long deal. Um, do you? basically saying like I'm going to be a chief forever cuz it, it it's going to make it really hard for him to end up on a different team now. So my question is this, would you for Russell Wilson, he's probably got one or one long contract or two short contracts left, right? Would you rather have us do one mega deal like this or would you rather have us do two smaller contracts uh kind of like the ones Russ has been signing lately? Eric, what do you think? I'd rather have mega deal. I don't want to see Russ go to another team, and maybe the day will come where Russ is, uh, you know, turns into Eli Manning or something. <laughs> I mean, realistically, it's going to be weird. You'll see Russ as like, you know, an Indianapolis Colt for two seasons or something like right. that. It does the Phil Rivers, right? Yeah, right. it's going to be sad, and I just that's probably why I chose Indianapolis. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, come on, I love Russell Wilson. I love what he does in the community. I love what he does for this team. Uh, Love, love, love. I want him forever. I want that big, long deal. All right, Kev- Kevin, what do you, yeah. what do you think? Uh, I think, I mean, what, his cap number jumped up after 2021. It's like 37 in 2022 and 39 in 2023. So you got to figure probably that age 33 season, he's going to sign another deal. I'd like to see him sign like a six-year deal, like a yeah. five- or a six-year deal. Wrap him up until he's just about 40 years old right there. Um you know, buy out those last two years of the deal and like wrap up something a little longer. I yeah. think, I think that's, that's, you know, you're a Seahawk for life. You know, uh, there's not going to be any questions. Uh, if like a succession plan is put in place, it'll be one of those things where he knows it's coming, you know? And so you could draft somebody that you're going to bring along for a couple of years. And I think Russ understands that. I also think Russ isn't a guy who's necessarily going to want to play until he's 45. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I think that he, he might have like the, that Drew Breesy arc where he he just keeps coming back as long as the the team around him is is good enough to make it worth it. Is I'm good right? with that. Like, the Ichiro like, arc. If the team is good, he'll be back. If not, then yeah. And I, I expect him to have the number two quarterback cap hit for basically the rest of his career. So that that will um that'll be pretty interesting. And the, you're right, Kevin. 2023 will be interesting if they try to get the extension done before that before that year and maybe lower that first year number a little bit down from the 39 million that he's making. Um, I agree. I think you try to wrap him up for the rest of his career, get him, get him out to like age 40 and, and uh, call it good. Maybe the last two years are, are um, years that you could cut if, if he's, you know, something horrifically bad happens, but yeah, I'd say one, one mega deal for me too. All right. Uh, what was Kevin? I'll start with you. What was your reaction when you heard the San Francisco 49ers uh, signed Jamar Taylor? <laughs> yeah, I was, was like, bad like that. It was like mine was like um it, it's um in the Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood stories when Prince asks Charlie Murphy <laughs> if he wants to play basketball. I was that was me yes. right there just like you signed Jamar Taylor like 
<laughs> I could not believe it. And they were replacing T's Tabor Day, which is just like, all right, perfect. It's, it's replacing the worst with the worst. Like, oh, man, I'm glad we got rid of this orange dumpster and put a yellow dumpster in its place. Yeah, put a traffic cone out there for someone to run by. It's pretty pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, Jamar, Jamar Taylor is the reason we didn't play nickel defense last year. So that's how bad. Yeah, Jamar Taylor sucks so bad that he eliminates an entire type of defense from being playable. Yeah, it was not great. So that that's it. All right, um, Alistair Corp at by Alistair Corp posted on uh, Twitter a hypothetical. Okay, I'm gonna let you guys hash this one out. There's two potential and people are writing about both these potentials. Bob Condota wrote today uh, in his mailbag about us getting Chris Jones. People, are, the rumor mill is saying that the Seahawks are in on Jamal Adams. So he said, "Here's your two hypotheticals: Seahawks trade a first and a second for Chris Jones, sign him to a long-term deal at 21 million a year." Seahawks trade a first and a second for Jamal Adams, sign him to a long-term deal at 15 million a year, or neither. Keep the picks. All right. I added the third option. Alistair just said which one. It's an either or, but I'll add the third option. You can do nothing. All right, Eric, which one do you want? Chris Jones, 21 million. Jamal Adams, 15 million. Or keep the picks. Man, I'll take Chris Jones. I I'm I at first thought is like let's keep the picks, and then I look at the mixed history in early round draft picks for Seattle. And I know we like to turn them into more picks, but Chris Jones is a, it's a game changer. He's a defensive tackle. It's, it's everything we need. Um, I really have nothing more to say. That's it. That's that, that sums it up. You look at our depth chart and see that DeMarcus Christmas and uh, Brian Monet are probably going to have to be contributors and go, yeah, maybe maybe, <laughs> Chris, maybe someone like Chris Jones is becoming kind of necessary. I would rather mark the headlines that these two guys will learn so much under Chris Jones. Uh, the uh, Another um, people bringing up, like we have a lot of cap room after this year. After this year, like we could front, we could backload Chris Jones deal and like make this year like a, a non-issue and then just dump up all into next year's cap. All right, uh, Kevin, what would you pick? I'm going Jamal Adams. I'm going Jamal Adams because, number one, uh, less expensive deal. Uh, number two, I think Jamal Adams is a bigger impact player. I understand that defensive interior is a question for us, and I understand that Chris Jones is a very good player. Um, Jamal Adams is uh, over a year younger. He's got part of his rookie deal left that we would be including like that wouldn't get dropped when we do the extension. So you're talking about getting them cheap and then you're talking about getting them on an extension after that. So we'd be locking up a premier defensive back for probably the next five to six seasons. Most of his prime, most likely most of his prime. We'd have him most of the way to 30. Probably you got to figure. Uh, and we're talking about a guy who, you know, uh, provides value in the pass rush, provides value in run coverage. Like, as a run-stopping linebacker, Jamal Adams is in the top half of the league. As a pass-rushing outside linebacker safety, Jamal Adams is in the top half of the league, is in, the, like, the top 25% of the it league. Doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter how you try to slice him up. Like, anything you do, he's among the best players at it. It doesn't but, matter what they ask him to do, like, slot – Playing coverage in the slot, playing deep, like outside linebacker on the edge, playing middle linebacker, playing deep, single high safety. It doesn't matter what you ask him to do. He's really good at it. And then you throw in the fact that Chris Jones can't cover and Jamal Adams can. 
And that's something Jamal Adams adds to the equation that Chris Jones can't. And for that reason, for the um, for the multitude of uses, because the whole thing is Chris Jones helps you in one area and it's an area that we need help. Jamal Adams helps you in all areas and allows every other piece. It's like when you get like um, a number three hitter in baseball, a guy who can get on base and hit for like powers, power, like doubles power. It, it allows everyone else to slot in wherever. Uh, getting a Jamal Adams allows everyone else to slot in in whatever they do best because he can pick up the slack on whatever slack you need picked up. So here's my thing is that uh, I also would pick this Jamal Adams contract, but that's because I think that Jamal Adams is probably looking to get significantly more more money than that. Um, the So the highest safety average salary right now is $14.6 million. It's Eddie Jackson, and I think he wants to reset the market to the tune of like 17 18 maybe even 19 million and so for for me like that's that's kind of um that's kind that's of where I, that's that for my trepidation that's where i was like yeah if, it, if, if we're getting him on an extension for 15 million a year absolutely back, what if it's 16 back it up 16 probably but after that it starts to get a little dicier and you don't want to give um you know as important as a player like Jamal Adams could be, you don't want to give a safety crazy money because it is a more fungible asset. There's more good safeties than there are more good uh, pass rushers, right? And the only thing bad, bad I can say about Chris Harris is, is that I know you wear those same gloves all the time. Chris, that's really weird and kind of gross. So why, why would you do that? His strength is in his gloves. <laughs> that's Jones, pretty smelly, Chris, though. Chris Jones, just like he says he, he likes his gloves and he just wears the same gloves. That's really weird. So those – Gloves definitely will give other players coronavirus. That's some stink. That's a fact. <laughs> um, all right, that uh, Dunbar. So Quentin Dunbar, his case, he hired a second lawyer, which means it's not just going to go away. That's all. That's the update. <laughs> That's yeah. sad, and you're probably right. Here's the thing: like Michael Kendrick's case is on what, like year four. Yeah. So whatever. You don't hire a second lawyer though if it's just like going away. Um, and then uh, just a tip for everyone, uh, Sam Gold made a film room for DK Metcalf. It's fantastic. Make sure to go watch it. Uh, Sam Gold's film room, YouTube. It's good. All right. He always does good stuff. Uh, not a sponsor. We'll my, wrap it up. My favorite Redskins fan. All right. So let's get into our topic for the week, the AFC West. Uh, the AFC West uh, features four teams that I think all have a significant chance to be good this year, actually. Uh, I think none of these teams suck. And so I'm kind of excited. This is the, this is like the one I am uh, second most excited about, obviously, behind NFC West. So let's start with the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos bring in A.J. Bouye, Jarrell Casey, Melvin Gordon, Graham Glasgow. They lose Chris Harris Jr., Joe Flacco. Con- I wouldn't call that a loss. I guess I should have put that in the ad column, Joe Flacco. Connor McGovern, uh, Will Parks. They drafted Jerry Judy, Lloyd Cushenberg, Barry, K.J. Hamler, Michael Ojemudia. The Seahawks connection, they also were the landing spot of one. Nick Vanette. Kevin, what do you like? What do you think about the Broncos this year? Uh, Broncos had a really interesting thing. On defense, I felt like uh, they lost very similar similar pieces to what they added. Um, You know, I think A.J. Boye coming in for Chris Harris, uh, if A.J. Boye can be the A.J. Boye of a couple years ago, you're looking at, you know, a somewhat equal trade. Boye's like a pure outside guy, though. Um, I think Jarrell Casey coming in and Derek Wolf leaving. You're looking at uh, a slight upgrade, probably on the interior. I was gonna say if you call that if you call that a wash, Jarrell Casey is much better. Derek Wolf's good, but Jarrell Casey is like, in my opinion, one of the finest 
interior defensive lineman in the whole league. I would agree. Jarrell Casey's uh, a little bit less scheme versatile, but better at the thing he does. I, I mean, he's the thing I got Jarrell Casey is, is over the years, he ranks highly in both pass rushing and uh, and run stopping. And there's yep. just not that many guys who do that. Like, he's not a 10 out of, he's not going to be the first in the league at either of those things, but being in the top 10 at both is just super good. And I, I think putting him at 3 4 will be cool. It'll be an interesting change. You'd have playing. to put him outside, though. Oh, yeah, they're putting him at defensive end. Yeah. Uh, like so they're not gonna play Matt nose yeah that'd be crazy <laughs> yeah and so I'm interested to see how he does at end at three four but I mean he's been really good at everything else so there's no reason to believe he won't be um I feel like uh Graham Glasgow was a nice signing and so that takes care of Leary and McGovern leave, McGovern leaving and then they had a really good wide receiver draft uh Jerry Judy is excellent he's gonna come in and be productive right away um Tyree Cleveland in round seven quietly could be pretty decent. I don't like Lloyd Cushenberry, but I mean, you know, yellow. Uh, and did, and... I think they got him at like the right spot too. That's another thing. It's like they didn't reach up and grab Lloyd Cushenberry in like round two or something. They got well, him, and they got Natani Muti, um, who if he could stay healthy, then he ends up being the good grab there. Getting Cushenberry in the middle of round three is actually kind of value. Like it's like it's fine. Like yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm fine with it. If I they feel got, like I feel like there's a slight it. talent upgrade for sure overall. Yeah. So it comes down to if their quarterback actually grew or if their quarterback kind of sucks. Yeah. And I think Drew Locke could have grown. Uh, they're they're in a very similar position to the Bills, I think, with maybe like a slightly worse overall roster, but slightly. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I go second every time. I forgot. All right. Here we go. Um, I think that this roster is pretty loaded in weapons-wise. You know, you got Cortland Sutton, who I am very high on. I think Cortland Sutton is um, kind of blossoming into one of the you know ten best receivers in the league. Jerry Judy is a great rookie to bring in to complement that. Um, Hamler and Ham- either Hamler or Hamilton will be awesome in the slot. Like one of those guys will be really good. And then, like Kevin said, Tyree Cleveland. As that's your fifth wide receiver, you are in good shape. <laughs> Their offensive line is solid but not spectacular. I wish they had better tackles. Um, but they got Noah Fant, who who is good, and then they bring in Albert O who definitely knows how to play with Drew Locke. Um, and that, is a good vertical speed threat along with Fant. Like, they're good speed right. mismatches. Yeah, they have they have blocking tight ends in Vanette and Horman. They have, you know, catching tight ends in Fant and Alberto. Then they have great running backs, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman is their third best running back, which is a nice luxury to have. The defense is solid. They have two premier pass rushers in Bradley Chubb and Vaughn, Vaughn Miller. They bring in Jarrell Casey, who's disruptive in the center of the field, and their secondary is solid. Kareem Jackson, Bryce Callahan, AJ Bouye, they, they're Justin Simmons. Those are good players. Um, Ojemudia can compete for one of those um, cornerback jobs and push Bouye if Bouye decides to be old. You know, yep, but if he's washed, hopefully he gets a year to develop because I think that will really help him. I think that's the kind of player he is. Uh, I think this is a really good team, and like Kevin said, it's it's how much is Drew Lock, the Drew Lock we saw at the very end of the season, and how much is he, you know. Not because if Drew Lock, Drew Lock had a couple really good games against Houston and Detroit, and if he's that player, um, you're even like, you know, seventy five percent of that player over the course of the whole season, they're going to be a really good football team. Like a, they're going to compete with everyone they play. If he's more the guy that played against Kansas City, who had a really garbage game, or even just the guy who played against the Chargers and the Raiders, then we might be looking at. 
uh, a medium season. So he's kind of it's kind of rise and fall based on how good is Drew Locke. He's kind of right. where Darnold was going into last season pre mono. Yeah, except except like for he flashed at mono. the end of a season. Not as many mistakes, which is what I like. I mean, only the, he only had three interceptions. Darnold is like Mister Mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I would say, but in that, like, Darnold came on at the end of the season after coming in, like, partway through the season, and you thought, like, hey, if he can be the guy he was at the end of the year, and now he, like, everything got screwed up, and he has to, and basically he's in the exact same position for his year three. They didn't, really leave him, they didn't really leave themselves much of a safety net, which is, like, my biggest, uh, like, minus with this team is that, like, Jeff, Jeff Driscoll as your backup, that's not great. Like, I, I wish that they would have left themselves something there was there was good quarterbacks available in free agency this year for basically nothing and i know that bringing in cam newton to denver to challenge drew lock is a bad look because if you could stunt the development of drew lock and if they really believe in him that's that's something you don't want to do but like they could have brought in one of the solid backups like Foles or keenum or something like that that would give them more flexibility if Drew Locke turns out. Like if they get through eight weeks and they're four and four, and just Drew Locke is the reason that they have four losses, switching to a, a more solid option at quarterback and then trying to stay in the playoff race might be a better option for them. But that's I don't it. think there's a big difference between Jeff Driscoll and Case Keenum. Um, I don't like Jeff Driscoll at all. But I understand that. I think he sucks. I'm, I'm not going to go to bat for Jeff Driscoll. Like I'm, I'm not sitting over here driving the Je- Jeff Driscoll bandwagon or anything. Like, like uh, it's not, it's not me and his mom over here in his corner holding a pennant. I'm just saying. Like, I, is it Jeff Driscoll pennant? They they had Case Keenum few years ago, but I mean we're just not that far removed from Case Keenum throwing like 68 percent with 22 touchdowns and seven picks and leading a team to an 11 and three record. Like that wasn't that long ago that people yeah. act like it was a million years ago just because he had one bad season with Denver. I just think maybe they should have held on to him. I think it might might it might give them a nice safety net for their for their rook or for their young quarterback. But all right, Eric, I've talked a lot about the Broncos. What do you think about the Broncos? Yeah, this is like the only team that I really have super strong opinions on, but um everything you guys have gone into all of it. I'll say that the Denver Broncos are super high, meaning the uh the the king of the Denver Broncos, John Elway, is super high on Drew Locke. You could tell he went all in on this guy. He didn't want to try Cam Newton. Uh, it may have been a wiser decision, but I think it's sink or swim for them. I have the Denver Broncos at eleven and five this year. I'm super Ooh. high. I'm super high on this team, and I think Drew Locke is going to have a plus season, uh, not just a a short five game stint that looks really good. I don't know if he elevates so much if he just gets a little better and a little better for him over a full season is going to bring them to 11 and five, especially with this roster. You compared them to the Buffalo bills. I think I like this roster better than the Buffalo bills. And I certainly like Josh Allen. Not so much like I <laughs> meaning, meaning like, I don't know if I trust drew Locke, but I've only seen five games, Josh Allen. I've seen more games and it's, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's the guy we see in Josh Allen is the guy we're always going to see. And Drew, a fair critique. Yeah, and Drew Locke, I think, I mean, after this year, we'll see. If he improves, then, hey, this guy could be another good quarterback. But, yeah, that's my I, that's my record. I'm also into the Broncos. I'm at 9-7 and seven, uh, and in, in the playoffs. I think this is a solid team, and they could be 11-5. and five. That's actually, like, when my on my first run through, I had them at 11-5. and five, But I think there's a range here of between 
eight and eight and eleven and five and it just depends on drew lock and i wanted to settle somewhere in the middle and i knew that eleven and five was like my most cheery optimistic version and i wanted to re reel it in a little so i haven't been nine and seven and in the playoffs kevin what do you what do you got them at? uh i think there's a couple big questions with what their secondary is going to be able to do um i think a lot of hinges on aj boyer and some young players taking a step forward i think there's questions about quarterback and I think there's questions after Von Miller had a really down season last season. So I'm being cautious at 8-8, eight and eight, but I could see them getting to 9 or 10 wins. But 8-8 uh, eight and eight's what I'm locking into right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, Justin Simmons is really good. I'm just going to throw that out there, too. And yeah, I is. think that, that will help their secondary quite a bit. His pro football focus rating last year in 1,053 snaps was 90.7. That's nuts for a guy with that much usage. That's Bobby. That's Bobby Wagner territory right there. So uh, I think their secondary, and unless Bouye is just totally washed, should be he he'll he'll make up for uh, some of those ills maybe. All right, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, really kind of a, a nothing burger off season here. They added Taco Charlton, Antonio Hamilton, Mike Remmers. They lose Kendall Fuller, Emmanuel Ogba, Steven Wisniewski, uh, Terrell Suggs. The draft Clyde Edwards, Slayer, Willie Gay Jr., and Lucas Niang. Seahawks connection, of course, they are the home of Seahawks legend Frank Clark. Um, all right, Kevin first last time. So, Eric, what do you think about the chefs? Uh, Chiefs, <laughs> like you said, nothing burger, and then followed it up with a they signed Taco Charlton. Uh, I just find that amusing. Uh, it's a nothing burrito. I mean, there's really nothing you can do after signing Patrick Mahomes to all this money. Listen, they, they won the Super Bowl last year. They're defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, being a fan of a team that were once defending Super Bowl champs, RIP Hawks, uh, this it's almost like their season to lose, especially what they did. I also have this team at eleven and five, winning the division, and I think you they have a very good chance to return to the Super Bowl. Um, all right, so my thing with the Chiefs is is it's a good team. Obviously, they just won the Super Bowl, and they're bringing they're basically running it back with functionally very similar roster construction to last year. Not a lot of big changes here. Um, the thing for me is that the defense was not good. It was just merely average last year, and any kind of step down there will be bad. If they can't get Chris Jones to show up and play football for them next year, it's a problem, and, like, a significant one. Because this – bringing in Taco Charlton is not going to replace – that's going to replace – the non-production of Emmanuel Ogba. That's not going to replace Chris Jones. You know what I mean? Like they, they need that. This guy is a kind of the uh, what's the straw that stirs the drink. You know, this is the guy they need to make their defense really work. They figured out how to use Frank Clark, as, and I think that will help. But if Chris Jones is not there, I'm worried about the Kansas City Chiefs defense being just a dumpster fire. That being said, that they'll probably still make the playoffs even if it is a dumpster fire because it's just a, such a talented offensive roster and an excellent, excellent coaching staff. Um, since you already gave your record, I'll give mine, Eric. I have the Chiefs also at eleven and five, and our ten. I have the, no, I have them at ten and six. I have the Chiefs at oh, ten wow. and six okay. and, win, and winning the division. Um, so yeah, there you go. All right, Kevin. Uh, I think Willie Gay Jr. is an important pickup because they have they had a serious talent deficiency at linebacker. I think bringing him in, that's a sizable talent upgrade. Like that's a really good thing. Uh, you're right. If they don't get Chris Jones in there, their de- their entire defense is kind of wrecked. Um, another point you brought up, I want to underline is they figured out by the playoff time 
like that you can't use Frank Clark as like a wide five and have him rush the passer. Like that's just dumb. And, and they, they stopped doing up, that because they lined him up in that seven. And I was like, what are you guys doing? This is like way too far out for this for guy. a power rusher. Yeah. So like uh, the, the only thing that really gets me is, um, you know, I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a good pickup for them. Uh, him and Damian Williams with Darwin Thompson means they have a really good set of uh, running backs. They had really poor health luck last year. And so they don't necessarily need to be healthy in order to be better. So that's kind of another thing to take into consideration. Um, they, they needed a corner. Like they really, they let Kendall Fuller go, who was kind of like a hybrid nickel safety and like not having him and kind of running it back with some not very good corners. Throwing a bunch really of needed to pick up a guy. They threw a bunch of late round draft picks at corner, and it's like this is not going to work the way you yeah, want. Yeah, I don't think it's like Legarius Sneed. Like I think Lavert Hill Bo-peep. might be able to play nickel, but he's like he's not a very big guy. Bopeep um, Keys is a guy who's very developmental. Legarius Sneed, he's a safety conversion and very developmental. Like yeah, you're, you're talking about me. Uh, Javaris Davis might be the most ready to play, but like he was kind of grabby if I remember the tape correctly. So. You're still like, like they're basically going, yeah, well, we're going to win 42, 28 a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and, but the thing is like, look at that offense and look at that head coach and yeah, they're going to win 42, 28 a lot. So I have them at 11 and five. Yeah. There'll be a top five offense. And so even if, yeah, like I said, even if the, the, the worst case, the nightmare scenario for the chiefs is like nine and seven, you know, that's the, that's the nightmare scenario where their defense is just a dumpster fire but their special teams and offense is so good that they still make the playoffs at nine and seven. That's the nightmare scenario. What a- and then somebody does not want to play them round one because right. like, they could just torch your defense and ruin your day. Light you up. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's an interesting spot. It's a nice, it's, it'll be a nice uh, experiment there. Like to see if, if they don't have Chris Jones, like that really is just kind of like one half of a team. Yeah. All right. Let's go over to Las Vegas. The Raiders added a lot of people, so I'm going to list some off. I think all of these guys could be contributors this year. Um, Jason Witten, Malik Collins, Nick Kwiatkowski, Carl Nassib, Nelson Aguilar, Demarius Randall, Corey Littleton, Marcus Mariota. They lost Carl Joseph, Daryl Worley, and Tahir Whitehead. Um, I didn't write down who they drafted, so i got to look at the actual thing. Now, they uh, round three, one, they got like, Henry Ruff, oh. Damon Arnett, uh, Tanner Muse, and Brian Edwards. All right, there you go. I, I could get it quick. I just didn't write it down on my notes. Uh, Seahawks connection, of course, new Seahawks, Benson, Mayoya, Mayowa, uh, came from Oakland. All right. Uh, let's see. It's Kevin's starting to go first. Kevin, what do you think? Raiders. Uh, oh, they got, they got Lynn Bowden, too. I forgot about they that. They got Lynn Bowden, and also their best corner might be the one they drafted in the fourth round. Uh, I think Amik Robertson. Could be a very good cornerback. I think Damon Arnett might not be athletic enough to translate to the NFL at corner. I could see him being on the struggle bus right away. But they basically did a complete remodel on their front seven. Uh, Kwiatkowski and Littleton are both. Like, Kwiatkowski is, do you want a, like, C to C-plus linebacker? Because that's what he is. He comes in and he does a really adequate job at being a starting linebacker. I think Littleton's a little better than that. So Corey Littleton is one of the most you have a good coverage linebackers. coverage linebackers in the entire NFL. Yep. yep. That's exactly right. He's he's 
Against the run, you're, you need your defensive line to step it up. Luckily, they have a pretty decent defensive line. They do, and they added Malik Collins, who I think is a nice compliment because now they have uh, P.J. Hall, Malik Collins, and Maurice Hurst. And they have, uh, like, a nice, like, rotation thing where they have, like, Nasib, Farrell, Crosby, and Key all to, like, kind of rotate through at the end. That's uh, Yep. It's a nice deep, deep uh, rotation there. In general, I feel like uh, basically their entire defense, like, there's no spot on their defense except maybe outside corner where you're going, they are talent deficient. So you figure like they're a decent team all the way across the board. I think moving Joyner back to nickel and taking them out of the safety spots is going to help them out. Um, Jonathan Abram, I still don't trust remotely. Like he's a very reckless player, but if everyone else is doing their job, well, he could be kind of a, a firecracker for you. Um, so the question comes on offense. Derek Tool Derek Carr has the tools this year. If he's going to do well, it should happen. So I think there's a really good chance that they're a pretty decent team. I see them as also being eight and eight and fighting for a playoff spot. They were seven and nine last year. Like I think people forget that this wasn't like a horrible team last yeah. year. They were decent. They're I think that they're they just got blown out a few times. They they added a bunch of talent. Um but there there are some underlying issues, you know. They're their um their O line coach their defense, sucks. Their defense was thirty first in the league in uh DVOA. Their special teams was twenty fifth in the league. So like while it it is now they've added a bunch of guys on defense. They they knew that their defense wasn't good even though they went seven and nine and maybe weren't that bad. So they added a bunch of guys. They're bringing in uh they brought in kicker competition. So we'll see if that can fix some of their special teams woes. I like their offense. I think their offense looks pretty decent. My prediction for the the Raiders this year is it starts a little rough with Carr. And I actually think Derek Carr is a little underrated, but uh, I'm going to make a weird prediction, which is that Derek Carr gets benched after like week four or five, and Marcus Mariota does to Derek Carr what Ryan Tannehill did to him last year. Oh, man, I can't wait until Derek Carr does it to somebody else in 2021. Right, it just starts a chain, chain, right? We're starting a chain. But Marcus Mariota, I think, is pretty good. He just is made of... Uh, graham cracker crumbs uh, that's what his bones are made of so if he can just stay healthy there's no reason that if something happens he could step in and be awesome uh josh jacobs was really good last year running the ball when Bowden brings a nice weapon onto your team that i think is you know it's a multifaceted weapon kind of like um like new orleans has in uh Taysom hill where he can th- he could throw some if you need to do a trick play he can run he can catch they could line him up all over the field i really like stuff like plus that. special teamer yeah they're they have a ton of they have a ton of wide receivers that are all pretty decent they just need one guy to step up and be number one yeah, i was about to say they're a great test of that if you have five number two and three wide receivers do you yeah. need a number one right but if henry Ruggs can be like a number one style receiver and draw that attention then that'd be awesome darren waller maybe is their number one receiver i don't know i like them i think there's upside here but i i pumped the brakes a little bit i have them at eight and eight and in the playoffs so I'm in the playoffs, but not. Uh, I didn't go too crazy. It was tempting. I'm not going to lie. It was really tempting for me to go a little crazier. Uh, Eric, what do you think? Uh, I think it's funny. You guys are, are like hesitantly high on them, but you bring them back down to earth. Uh, Marcus Mariota, I, I do think, is going to play starter for the season at some point. Can he play the remainder of the season when he starts? And that's that's what I think it comes down to. I think... I don't know. I think Derek Carr is the kind of guy who's going to fold under pressure. You've seen it, and he's got pressure directly behind him now. The real, I think, victim in all of this is the 
brand new Las Vegas stadium. That thing looks awesome. It looks ridiculously cool from the outside and inside, and there may not be anyone in it. Yeah. I I just have to bring that up because I, I I was in Vegas when it was being built last year, and I was like, "Whoa, this is this looks really awesome." Um, it's uh, that that's going to be a shame. Having said that, I I do like that they put defense first this off season and just kind of make it more well rounded for them. I still don't see this team going past eight wins. I don't see them competing for a playoff spot. Um, they're lucky to have like what I think the saints and Buccaneers at home this year. I think they're still probably going to lose both those games. I don't think they're that good of a team middle of the pack, eight and eight. Um, all right. Last team, the uh, five and 11 last year chargers. They brought, they brought in uh, Brian Bulaga, Chris Harris, Jr. Linval Joseph and Trey Turner. They lost Russell Okung, Phil Rivers, Melvin Gordon, and Adrian Phillips. In the draft, they pick the GOAT, Justin Herbert, Kenneth Murray, and Josh Kelly. Seahawks Connection, their defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, is the former defensive coordinator of your Seattle Seahawks. Eric, anything about the, what do you think about the Lightning Bolts? Um, Chargers did not go after Cam Newton. That mm-hmm. is the biggest headline for the Chargers. It's not losing Phillip Rivers. It's that they did not get Cam Newton. I think the Chargers are probably looking to tank a bit. Um, you can't really reload your team after you know getting rid of Melvin Gordon and getting rid of Philip Rivers and not picking up a a large addition. Uh, they still have Austin Eckler. This is a team that is going to be able to compete enough to not be terrible, but I think that they're just trying to amass that early round draft pick, early first round draft pick to um, reload for uh, for the immediate future as opposed to what the Raiders have done and, you know, kind of stockpiling draft picks so they can attack it three years um, as you're seeing them do now. I think the Chargers are a team that is probably going to finish at highest seven and nine, but uh, I'm confident it's six and ten for the Chargers. Yeah, I think that the, the, the front office is kind of thinking what you're thinking, which is that Anthony Lynn – coaches this year they don't do that good and then they get they get fired he gets fired and they hire a new coach they bring him in with a year two of herbert and kind of launch into 20 you know the 2021 season or whatever that is uh to go i'll say this i think that this roster has a lot of talent on it but i have no faith that the defense is going to stay healthy at this point i've just given up hope like that this will be an offensive awesome defense where everyone stays healthy because every year they have all this defensive talent and like three key players get hurt. And I just, I don't know. It's, it's just, they're cursed or I don't know what I hate predicting injuries, but this just seems like they're, they're a lot. This is what happens to them. Um, it's a really talented defense, but like last year, their DVO in DVOA, the chargers were 21st in defensive rank. It didn't matter that they had all these guys because every year they pick up key injuries. Uh, last year it was uh, Adrian Phillips got hurt and Derwin James got hurt. And those are, those are two really awesome players. And then they didn't even bring back Adrian Phillips this year. So he's on the Patriots now, which makes me sad. So, so, <laughs> so uh, that, you know, it's just, it's tough for me to, to really like dig into the chargers and then Tyrod Taylor. I just, I don't see it. And I, I could totally see this being a situation where Tyrod starts off. Okay. You know, it's like, Hey, we're four and four. Or, hey, we're, we're three and three. And then they just decide, you know, okay, it's Herbert's turn. And Herbert goes like, Oh, and 10 the rest of the year. Right. They just, he's just terrible but they want to kind of learn by fire the kind of the way that Goff was terrible. His first year he came in, I think he went 0 and seven and seven starts and they just wanted to get him some, some reps because they knew that this is the future and we don't, we're not going to 
we're gonna we don't want to tread water this year. We want to take our lumps with Herbert and kind of move towards the next stage of our of our franchise. Um, I have the Chargers at I love this. I have the Chargers at four and twelve. Oh wow! Yeah, I think that like there's a chance that once Herbert comes in, they're just really awful and they just stop winning completely. So yeah, there you go, uh, Kevin. What do you think? Uh, I hated their draft. Like flat out, they might be my least favorite draft. Um, KJ Hill's athleticism. There's a decent chance it just doesn't play at the NFL level. Alohi Gilman is probably just a special teamer. Joe Reed might have to transition to running back. And then you got UCLA's running back, which if you've watched UCLA recently, why? Yeah, they, they basically got Justin Herbert and Kenneth Murray out of this draft. I wouldn't even say any of these other guys matter at all. And then Justin Herbert and Kenneth Murray are two guys that I thought, A, they drafted really high for what they are, and B, have really high bust potential. And so there's a re- there there's there's a decent chance they walk out of this draft with literally what a, nothing. One of my favorite aspects was, was as we scouted Kenneth Murray together. You went from like mildly in on him to just like every time we the more we watched the more you were like, eh, I don't know how good he really is. Felt like the more we scouted him, the less you liked him. The more tape I watched on him, the further he fell down my rankings, which is the inverse of what you want, yeah. in my opinion. Like, yeah, uh, and then. So, like, okay, you're going, okay, oh, they signed Brian Balaga. That's great. And they lost Russell Okung. That that sucks. Oh, they picked up Trey Turner. Okay. But, like, okay, now you have, like, one stable guard. So they've got two offensive linemen. You need five for those of you playing the bingo game at home. So that's pretty bad. They got Chris Harris for an already loaded uh, secondary. But, like, okay. You know, uh, their defense has a really good chance of being good, but as you already said, health is a big question. The O line's a huge question. Um, quarterback, they, you know, if you get like Bills to Rod, then like he's pretty decent. But then also, you've now just gotten yourself a pretty decent quarterback, and then you have Justin Herbert, you spent a high pick on, or you get Cleveland to Rod, and he sucks, and then you put in Herbert, and I already told you I think he's going to suck. So then you just have suck all year. Yeah, if they put if they put like Dan Feeney slash Forrest Lamp, whoever wins that battle, and then Sam Tevy and Trey Pipkins, whoever wins that battle, if they put those two guys next to each other on the same side of the line, that side of the line will be the leakiest side of a line in the entire NFL. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. It will be so bad. They and, they like, literally they basically can't. And the thing is, is that they spent a second and third round draft picks on those dudes. Yep. Like, they need those guys to be good, and they're just not. Those are guys that they invested in. That just didn't pan out. It's a Seahawks level of uh, investing in talent that where that just doesn't pan out on the offensive line. Yeah, they're gonna and have Pouncey's like name recognition, but not talent. I think Mike Pouncey is is probably gonna be bad. You're right. Yeah, like it's just, <laughs> it just it is what it is, and so that's that's what Pounceys do. Pounceys are bad at center and get lots of recognition for being bad. Well, I think the Pittsburgh Pouncey is is, uh, is, is right. below like, average. Yep. Oh. Um. But... Sorry, he's he's one of my arguments that the Pro Bowl doesn't matter. He's Rafael Palmero getting a Golden Glove at center. Um, <laughs> a lot of baseball references today. I guess uh, yeah, Kevin can't about help the season. Himself. I thought. Um, uh, speaking and, of baseball, I got that email that was like, "Hey, uh, check out the Mariners' uh, offensive schedule," and I was like, "I don't think I will." I appreciate how <laughs> them not playing baseball this year does not impact your baseball viewing habits whatsoever. Yeah. Um, 
So like they went five and eleven last year, but they were a pretty good five and eleven team. Uh, they like like they they scored three thirty seven and gave up three forty five, and by rankings, like they should have been a little better than they were. They should have been like maybe a seven and nine team. I think this year they'll be a true five and eleven team. Like the talent has gone down across the roster. Yeah. All right. So we don't like the, we don't like the Chargers. We out. Um, okay. So there are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. For as little dollar twenty four month, get in the Discord. Once the season starts, get our gambling thoughts and uh, check out Kevin's videos about some of our draft picks. Of which um, there will be more now that I have some time. All right, sweet. I know the school year ended and uh, I figured you'd, you'd probably do at least one more. Uh, there's one more player I figured, thought that you definitely want to do one on. Oh, yeah. I I'm not expecting the Colby Parkinson video. Going oh, you better be. Oh, geez. <laughs> I, if you want to see a lanky white dude trying to run down the field, you're, you, you're about to. Yes, this is um, all my dudes. The power-packed Stanford offense. Sorry. If you, uh, if you don't... If you don't want to, uh, if you don't have any money or you're, uh, it's hard times out there, you can head over to iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Grab a, uh, put put in that five-star rating. Uh, it helps people find the podcast. Tell a friend that's sitting at home not doing anything. Hey, I like the Seahawks podcast. You should check it out. It helps us more than you think. Um, all right. So today we're going to do something a little different. We're all going to try to tell, we're going to, we picked a director, picked Edgar Wright. And uh for movie club and we're going oh i didn't read the names of the patreons did i nope uh okay wait that's I okay closed... it will take an hour for you to pull up patreon because that I, website sucks i closed <laughs> i closed the tab too so now it's like really bad uh-huh. so now now what i'm gonna do though is i'm, I'm just gonna i'm just gonna um talk while i, while I do it though because here we go ready i already got to it i'm so good now nice uh, stall. Brett, james carrie lucas ryan timothy tom tony bob fuck miss keith jay karen michelle mike richard and uh, Brandon, thank you guys for supporting the CXNS podcast. You guys are awesome. Okay, so we're all going to pick an Edgar Wright movie, and we're all going to uh, argue why it's the best Edgar Wright movie. Um, so, Eric, start That's us off. A... <clears throat> what do you think the best Edgar Wright movie is and why? There were a handful of movies to pick here. I chose the yeah. one that hits my heart the most, the hardest, and that is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. This is probably the uh, the most. I like how you pulled out your Stephen A. Smith voice for that. <laughs> My pal Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I did not anticipate that happening. I'm going to get really aggressive and threaten Kevin Durant halfway through this. Oh, There's uh, a lie. <laughs> no, it's uh, Scott it's... Bean Bryant Pilgrim. Sorry. I know. Sorry. I know. Okay, so Scott Pilgrim is a movie with a lot of heart. It's got probably the biggest Hollywood cast in it. But it's used so well. There's a lot of talent in this movie. You've got uh, 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 John Cena. <laughs> Sorry, Michael Sarah. That's what I wanted to say. I was like, what's Michael Sarah's name? Say John Cena. That's not it. And then I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to say it anyway. Michael Sarah plays the lead role. And this is Michael Sarah when you uh, when you don't hate him. Because let's face it, there was a time when he was in a lot of movies and you didn't like him. Um, you But you, you have this tale of a guy who is uh, looking for love or so he thinks. But it turns out that this guy is just looking for the next thing until he finds a girl that absolutely crushes his heart, takes control of his life. And uh, he has a lot of growing to do once he finds that out. And uh, 
Scott Pilgrim finds out what love is. But beyond that, it's a great action movie. It's got a lot of heart, many, many laughs, fun special effects, awesome music. Brie Larson in uh, one of my more favorite Brie Larson roles of all time uh, as an ex-girlfriend of Scott Pilgrim. And it's got a stellar ending that is not begging for a sequel. I recommend this movie uh, maybe a 10 out of 10, if not for the first dance number. Um, Uh, Probably a 9 out of 10. Two comments on this movie. One, the Brie Larson version of that metric song is better than the metric version. It might be. She sang it better. And two... Um, multiple girls found Michael Sarah attractive. Uh, that that's not real. All right. So um... <laughs> real quick, uh, that's a movie where I think if you, if you don't if you don't like it, I understand why you don't like it. Um, but I feel like the uh, the close of that movie makes everything better. So actually, I actually think Scott Pilgrim is better on a second watch because you know what's going to happen. So it makes a lot of the events in like Acts One and Two a lot easier to watch. Scott is a very unlikable protagonist. Yes, um, but he gets sure. his. Uh, and yeah, all right, Kevin, what's your what's your what's the best Edgar Wright movie? All right, so I'm a I'm a big fan of saying that there's not a wrong choice in this. There's just the one that you want to justify. My absolute favorite is Hot Fuzz, uh, the 2007 Edgar Wright, uh, I guess, uh, cop horror thriller spoof comedy action movie um perfect i think that uh his filmmaking style is really strong in this one um there's so much good camera work the writing is excellent the whole uh there's so many jokes uh olivia coleman uh is great in this like all the secondary characters um it produces many great gifts um you know uh having to take everyone out for uh ice cream uh, Mr. P. Uh, Mr. P. I. Staker. Um, There's, I will say this: the this Runaway the Goose. Funny. I think this is easily the funniest Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, and it's it just and it's also hard. like blow for blow. But I think the action's really good too. Oh yeah. And the and the writing's really good. Like the story's really good. It it's not just jokes. It's if this was not funny, it would be a really solid noir. But it's funny, so it's like. Yeah, it, it, it hits a lot of notes, and there's a reason why for me it's a it's a perfect five out of five. Yeah, it's a it's it has homage. It's an homage to uh, to action movies. It's not like parody or anything like that. It's a it's a, all right for me. I'm gonna make the argument that The World's End is the best Edgar Wright movie, and here's why: is that the Cornetto trilogy is all great. I love Shaun of the Dead. I love Hot Fuzz. I gave it the same rating as The World at World's End. It makes me laugh really hard, but if if um this movie i think hits stronger emotional notes and has uh like a more a satisfying dramatic arc than any of the other edgar wright movies um just the and then nick wright or sorry nick frost as the uh like physical comedy god <laughs> so is in this movie is so good and so for me um i think that there's just something very satisfying like the way that this movie goes from like the emotional core of this like Gary King story and his, these four friends like getting back together and the relationship between these, these characters and stuff. I think it, ha- it has a better dramatic um, storytelling arc than any of the other great movies. And the twist is balls insane. 
yeah and it just and it, it and then also just like the uh, other Cornetto movies is a is an homage to uh to to great science fiction uh movies so i also want to say though the funny in this movie is so funny and then funny. the payoff on gary's character this is another one where because I'll, I'll full disclosure this is my lowest ranked of the Cornetto trilogy. This is my lowest ranked of the big uh, Edgar Wright movies, but I think it's because I haven't watched it a second time. Um, it, I think it's going to be the same thing that happened with uh, Scott Pilgrim. On the second watch, knowing where Simon Pegg's character Gary goes in this movie uh, pays things out very differently in the first half of the movie. Another thing I think too, Kevin, is every year you live, you'll relate more to the what's going on in this movie that seems pretty accurate because like let's say you watched it once in 2013 it's been seven years you're not you know you went you've gone from being 25 to 32 right you know like you're gonna relate more to what they're doing than than uh than the first movie so i just think that that's gonna help too also every interaction with rosamund pike who plays martin freeman's sister in this is friggin' hilarious there, there's so many good <laughs> there's actors so many good just like all these all these movies have such great great uh actors in them so uh yeah really great job all right any uh anything else you guys want to say about edgar wright's uh movies like, Kevin say, durant you have no idea what i'm capable of i'd say just watch them i mean even baby driver which has been ruined now by having so much kevin spacey in it is still really good it is uh, and it's it, i think uh i think baby driver is a lesson like hot fuzz is a lesson in how to do cuts Baby Driver is a lesson in sound editing. Yeah, like that's such a carefully done movie. Baby Driver I... was such a good theater watch too. Like it yeah. was, it was a movie that it felt good to go to the movies. The way that Edgar Wright uh, edits is, um, it's just he's he's one of a kind, and his like his snappy writing to go with it too. So it's his movies just have this frenetic pace that is so so uh, fun and entertaining. And also, he has a movie that theoretically is still coming out in twenty twenty. Um, with another great cast, unless they go direct to digital, I don't. I don't see this going direct to digital. Everything we know about how um, we like every new piece of information that comes out makes me think like the theater is basically the worst place you could be with a big group of people. It does seem to be that way. Poorly so, ventilated giant room with a hundred other people. Yeah, that no thanks. Take a hard pass on that. Thomas and Mackenzie, <laughs> who you may have seen in podcast favorite Jojo Rabbit, uh, as well as a few other good movies. Anya Taylor-Joy, who uh, was in The Vivitch and yeah. Split. Um, and this is, uh, I've heard something about being time hopping, but I, basically it's really good people in a Edgar Wright movie called Last Night in Soho, and that's all I needed to know to know I was buying a ticket. So uh, keep your eye out for this one if you watch the movies that we just all recommended. Um, which way. Shaun of the Dead we also highly recommend, it just didn't make our three by the way, Focus Features has it on April 23rd, 2021 now. Okay. It got pushed back because it was originally like October of this year. Yeah, but, no. you know, also 2020 has been very good at like not happening. Yeah, it was supposed to be September, right September 25th, 2020, but then okay. yeah, they moved it back already. They're, they got in, out in front of that one. All right. So for Kevin, for Eric, we will see you guys next week. Go Hawks.